0: And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. as he wills. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated.
1: All right, thanks, John. Um, well, good morning. Uh, like John said, my name is Josh Gardner. I'm the minister of students uh, here at Flourishing Grace, um, and I'm excited to continue the series with you guys uh, this morning. Um, last week, uh, Benjamin McVeigh uh, spoke on the fruit of the spirit, um, and today we're talking about spiritual gifts. Um, now. For some of you, maybe if you're like me and, and how you grow up, uh, grew up, that uh, spiritual gifts might be something that you kind of twinge at, that you're like, ah, are we really going to talk about this? Like, it feels weird. Uh, it feels like, I don't know if these things are even real. Um, and, and I was very similar uh, to that uh, thought growing up. Uh, growing up, I grew up in a, uh, a a church that believed in the gospel, um, believed like right, good, biblical theology. I became a believer when I was pretty young in elementary school. Um, but even though, even though I believed that the Holy Spirit is a he, that he is a person, that he works actively in our lives, I believed all of those things growing up. I was taught that growing up. Uh, but it really wasn't until college when I realized the power that the Spirit has in our lives and what, what the Spirit can actually do in us and specifically with the gifts through us and why these things are so important for us to look at. Um, because here's what happened, is growing up, we didn't talk about it much, so what I saw from spiritual gifts were the TV charlatan preachers, right? Where they're taking off their jacket and they're hitting people, has anybody seen that? Anybody, no? No one's seen that, really? A couple, of you, okay, over here? Okay, well, you can look it up, it's pretty crazy. There's one where they like put in a lightsaber, it's like a whole thing, on YouTube. Uh, Anyway, but like, that's what I saw is like people, like crowds coming up and people doing like this number and like everyone's like falling over and it's like this crazy, ridiculous thing. And so I thought growing up, well, when you mess with these spiritual gifts, you kind of get this weird, uh, like from what I looked at, that's just wrong, like God can't be in that. Um, And so in college was when I really started to study the Holy Spirit. I started to study the spiritual gifts, and I realized, I realized really quickly that all of that, all of those things that I had seen were not biblical. Like it wasn't what scripture says the spiritual gifts are at all. And in the New Testament, the spiritual gifts are actually talked about, the gifts of the Spirit are talked about a lot more than we, uh, than we think. Um, Paul even says this in 1 Thessalonians 5, he says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good, abstain from every form of evil. Right, so Paul is saying in this, look, don't despise the spiritual gifts, but test them, but test them, right? Test Test them, test if they are actually spiritual gifts or if they are people just using kind of the veil of spiritual gifts and of God to uh, kind of further themselves. And so tonight, or today, my hope for us is that we would look at what, why are the spiritual gifts a thing and what are they and uh, maybe why we don't see them as much in our lives. Um, but we have to test these things. My, my wife and I just started watching uh, The Great British Baking Show, anybody watch that? And a couple of you guys, okay. Um, and uh, in it, it's actually awesome, if you haven't seen it, it's on Netflix, go check it out, if you like any sort of cooking things. But each, each uh, episode, there's a bunch of bakers and then they eliminate one person every time, right? And, and there's three kind of rounds in every show and uh, the second round is called the technical round. And in the technical round, they tell them to create something, and they give them, here's the somewhat recipe, but they like leave stuff out, like how, how uh, long you have to cook it or the temperature you cook it at, stuff like that. And there was one episode where they were doing, it's like a caramel, everything was about caramel in this episode. And uh, they had to create this like Belgium waffle where you like it's like a cookie, you cut it in half, you put caramel in the middle, sandwich type thing. I don't know, it's British, okay? And so I, I'm like, okay, cool, whatever. I don't know what this is. Well, all the bakers make it, they line them up, and it's kind of like a blind taste test. And so the judges come up, and they are thinking about what it's supposed to be, right? They're thinking about the texture of the caramel. They're thinking about the snap of the cookie. They're thinking about all these different things, how it's supposed to look, the color, right? And so when they go up, they break it, and they go, ah, not the right break. They open it up, uh, this caramel's gritty. Uh, like they're doing all these things and they're testing the product that's been brought out by the real thing, right? And that's what we have to do with these things is we have to look at scripture. What does God actually say about the Holy Spirit and how he works in our lives for us to get this right? Once we separate ourselves from scripture, we, we go into all these things that are false and wrong and bad for us. So we have to look at what Scripture says. So today, I want to ask three questions. Um, And the first one is this. Why do the spiritual gifts exist? Why? And this is a good test, because if you see the spiritual gifts being exercised, if you see the spiritual gifts happening, and these things aren't the product of them happening, then we know that these things are not actually the spiritual gifts happening. Um, And the first thing we see why the spiritual gifts exist, is, what we see in this this passage, for the common good of the church, for the building up of the body of believers, right? In 1 Corinthians 12, 7, we saw this. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good, for the good of others, right? For the good of others. That The spiritual gifts are not these uh, things that you kind of... Uh, uh, have for your own uh, selfish gain, uh, but for the good of the body of believers. And I have to say this first, that the spiritual gifts are given by the Holy Spirit, right? And so people outside of the church, people who do not believe in the gospel, people who don't believe in what Jesus has done for them on the cross, that Jesus has taken the penalty for our sin and placed it on on himself. He took the wrath of God and then gave us his righteousness. If you don't believe that that is wholly true, right? then you don't have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you. The last couple weeks we've been talking about that. Josh started that at the beginning of this series, that we believe and we know from Scripture that when you believe in Jesus, that the Holy Spirit resides in you. He dwells in you. He walks with you. And in this, he produces these gifts in you. And he produces them for what? For the good of the church, for the growth of the church, for the good of those around you. Um, In Romans 12, Paul says this For by grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes with generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. That God actually gives us, by the Holy Spirit, different gifts, that we all don't have all these gifts, that we all have different gifts given to us by the Spirit, so that as one body, we unite together. It humbles us, it reminds us of the Gospel, that we cannot do it, that God has to do these things through us. But not only that, it reminds us that life, true life, true flourishing is together. That God didn't save individual people. There are no lone wolf Christians. That's not a thing. There are no lone wolf Christians. That we are the body of Christ that comes together and and God gifts us, or in the spiritual gifts, we actually see this even more, that God gifts certain people with certain things and certain people with other things for the good of the body together to grow together right not only that it's good for the church but it also is for the to glorify god he's given us the spiritual gifts to glorify god and jesus talks about this he says in john 16 when the spirit of truth comes he will guide you in all the truth for he will not speak on his own authority but whatever he hears he will speak He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. That the Holy Spirit is always going to point us back to Jesus, back to the gospel, right? And the same thing in these gifts, as these gifts are being used through us, uh, that they are always going to glorify God and preach the gospel in their use. They're not going to be for selfish gain. So like if you go back to those TV kind of hitting people, right, with their jacket and like healing people, right, those people were using the veil of spiritual gifts, the gifts of the Spirit, to, for selfish gain. All those people are millionaires or billionaires, right? People are just coming up to them. They have fame and fortune. It's not about the glory of God. It's about the fact that they have this supernatural, whoogity-woogity power that they can use on people. And that's not the Holy Spirit. That's not what God has intended this for at all. So, if that's what you think of when you think of the spiritual gifts, those aren't the spiritual gifts. So, these are qualifiers that we can use to say: look, if they are not for the common good, the building up of the church, and they are not for the glory of God, then they are not the Holy Spirit using these gifts. There's something else. False, something else, not, right? So we start with why, and that might be a little bit confusing because for some of you you're like, okay, but what are the spiritual gifts, right? And so we're gonna kind of go backwards, but I I think I need to explain the why so we can really dive into the what. What are the spiritual gifts? Well, from way up high, I wanna say this, that the spiritual gifts, the gifts of the Spirit, are the presence of the Holy Spirit poured out, the presence of the Holy Spirit poured out. Last week we talked about the fruit of the Spirit is these things that uh, the Holy Spirit develops in us to make us more like Jesus, right? Well, then the, the spiritual gifts are the things that God is developing in us f- to go out of us, to other people, right? For the common good, for the glory of God out of us. Things that you and I could not develop on our own. Things. That, it's not like we're natural at them, oh, these things are Are like just what I do. No, they're things that God is developing in us uh, for His good, for or for the good of the church, and for His glory. I'm hoping that this will help us understand this. When I was when I was a kid, my dad did a lot of woodworking in his garage, Um, and when I got a little bit older, um, I started to get intrigued. Like it was it's cool. First of all, it's loud, right? like with the saws and like it's crazy loud so I go outside watch my dad when I got older I uh when I got older I wanted to be involved right but power tools little kid if you have kids you're like that's probably not a good idea right But when I got old enough I'll say old enough probably not if if you were there but uh my dad I remember he taught me how to use a lot of tools But I remember specifically him teaching me how to use a router or a trim router. If you don't know what that is, I'll try to explain it real quick. Uh, Imagine, uh, I don't have anything up here, imagine like a box like this, okay, with a plate on the bottom. This is terrible. And in going through the plates in a circle, a hole, is a little spinning uh, cutter, okay? So a lot of times what you do is you kind of like set up your wood and you set the trim router on there and you run it across, okay? So it cuts, it'll do like roundovers or chamfers. You all with me on this? Okay, cool. You didn't realize you're coming to a woodworking class. Um, yeah, we can talk about it after I actually have a trim router. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah, but what would happen is I remember my dad handing me the trim router off, okay, probably unplugged, okay, and I'm holding it like this, okay, I'm holding it. And what does my dad do? Is my dad like, yeah, just turn it on and go for it, Josh? No, heck no, because you can hurt yourself, right? My dad, remember him taking his hand and putting it here and putting his other hand on top of my hand, right? and then setting it where it needs to set and turning it on, right? And then, and then he, by his strength, okay, is pushing the router across, okay? And this is what happens when the Holy Spirit does these things in us, when he develops these spiritual gifts in us and uses them for the glory of God and for the good of his church that he's really doing the work, not me, right? Like, in that moment, my dad, like we did that, got a chamfer on there, looks great, beautiful, backs it up, and I'm sure in that moment he looked at me and was like, man, look at what you did. Good job. Good job, Josh. Did I do anything in that? No. I did nothing. I was just there for what he was doing, right? But my dad allowed me to participate in the beautiful thing that he was creating in that. This is the same thing the Holy Spirit does in us, is he saying, come along with me. Look, you don't have the strength. You don't have the ability. You have nothing to offer here. Just like how when I saved you, you had nothing to offer. But I'm gonna do all the work. I'm gonna do all the work, and I'm just gonna let you participate in what is going on here. Something that you can't do, but I'm gonna give you credit for it. You're gonna be with me in it. And this is what... God does. The spiritual gifts are not like a Christmas gift. They're not like a present that you'd give someone where they open it up and they pick it up and they're like, ooh, this is cool, and then they go use it or they you know, put it somewhere. It is the presence of the Holy Spirit poured out through us. Poured out through us. It's amazing. The second thing I want to point out in this is what, what are the spiritual gifts um, is that the spiritual gifts in Scripture that we see are kind of, we have broken them into two categories. Um, I don't really like how we name them, but it makes sense. Um, we we call some of them ordinary. We call some of them extraordinary. Um, and the reason why we see that, and you can probably do a little bit of, if you think about it, you can do a little bit of which or which, um, but really it's based on just like how often we see them, right? Um, so you have ordinary working of these spiritual gifts and extraordinary. And I just want to go through them specifically. And, and not all of them, there's there's a lot of them in scripture, but I want to name a couple of each and talk about how God works in this. Um, so in the ordinary, we say things like teaching, mercy, service, faith, encouragement, leadership, guidance, administration, again, these are not things that's like, oh yeah, I'm just like, I'm kind of good at them. It's things that God has given us for the glory of him and for his church, right? Where we get to experience God's presence in our lives. Um, and and I think the reason why I don't like they're, that they're called ordinary is because, at least for me, until I started really looking and seeing how the Holy Spirit was moving, all of these I kind of chalked up to in my life, like me developing them. But if I actually look back, I realize, no, like even, like there were times where I was asking for it, but even in the times I wasn't, God was slowly developing these things in me. Um, but then for the extraordinary or the miraculous, right, we think of things like healing and prophecy and tongues and things like this. And, and what I want to do is just real quickly, I want to define prophecy, tongues, and healing For us, we don't have time. Honestly, we could do a whole sermon or multiple sermons on each of these. Um, uh, But I want to just explain, just real quickly, what these things actually are. um, Yeah, and how we can define them. Because here's the deal New Testament prophecy is not the same as inspired scripture, right? New Testament prophecy is not the same as the Bible, right? Paul, and like it's really clear, you look through. Uh, the New Testament, and it's really clear that Paul never says, like, write these things down, we're gonna canonize them, we're gonna put them in a book, and they are the gospel. They are what God says. That's never what we actually see. We think of that when we think of prophecy, but that's actually not what we see in this spiritual gift. Um, in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul says this What then, brothers, uh, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation? Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two, at most three, each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made, to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you uh, can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all be encouraged in the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints." See, what Paul is saying here is this, that Paul is not telling his churches that prophecy again should be written down or canonized. In fact, spiritual <clears throat> the spiritual gift of prophecy is supposed to be weighed, right? We see that, weighed. Now, when we read the Bible, we don't weigh it and go, eh, "Is this really what God's telling me to do?" No, we don't. We just obey it, right? We just go, "Yeah, this is God's word." But when someone prophesies, we weigh it against what? God's word, because New Testament prophecy will never be a new word that changes what God has already said. We're not adding to the word of God. There's no new truths or commandments or revelations about what God has done or how salvation works. There's no new parts of God's redemptive plan being added here. Like, Again, that's really clear if we look at Scripture that, that, that New Testament prophecy is on a completely different level than the inspired word of God, Right? This is really, if you could define New Testament prophecy, it's really this. That God is speaking through one of his people to encourage, comfort, console another believer. And and speaking things that that person would never know about the other person. Right? Um, Like I've heard many stories and talked to people about um, them being just like someone coming and prophesying over them. Things like, you know, someone, again, a believer who doesn't know them saying, hey, uh, man, do do you have a a six-year-old girl? Um, Man, I I know uh, you're having a hard time with that. Or man, I, I know that people have been saying that you're not doing a good job in these areas of your life, but God loves you, right, and he cares for you, and he wants you to know that. Like things like this where it's encouraging, comforting, consoling, but in specific ways in which God is obviously by his spirit revealing things to the person that has no idea who you are. So this is what, again, New Testament prophecy, it's for the building up of the church, for the common good of the church, and for the glory of God. It will always point back to Jesus. It will always point, always point back to the gospel. Right? For tongues, interpretations of tongues, just really quickly. Again, we don't have time to go into it. But we see like in Acts, right? day of Pentecost, we see that, that uh, uh, after the Holy Spirit comes that, that they start speaking in all these different languages that they don't know, like they weren't educated in, right? And people are hearing these things. The interpretation is happening. in that moment where people are hearing the proclamation of the gospel in their own native tongue, right? So we see that. Um, also, other areas of just of speaking in a tongue that might not even be a human language, but there is an interpretation, an interpreter, someone who actually knows what is being said, Again, the big point here is if there's no one to interpret that tongue, then it's not that. And we see here in, in what Paul is saying that if there's no one to interpret, the person who thinks they're speaking in a tongue should sit down and talk to God and say, okay, is this really you or is this me? Is this me? And then lastly, we see that healing, right? Which we see healing all throughout the New Testament. We see people laying hands and praying over one another. We see Jesus healing, obviously, but then we see the disciples healing people as well uh, from ailments and things like that. And again, all pointing back to the glory of God for the good of his people. So I know that was quick, but we need to get into this last question. Um, and I, hopefully this will, this will kind of help with next steps for you. Um, the last question I had is, why does it feel like we should experience be experiencing the gifts of the Spirit more than we are, though. Like, does anybody else feel that way? Like, I do. Um, like, why does it feel like when we read the New Testament, you read Acts, you're like, dang, like, what is going on? Um, and, I, and I think, firstly, I want to say this. I, I, I think that, uh, I know, actually, because <laughs> I've seen it, that um, the spiritual gifts aren't happening uh, as much in the West uh, than they are in other countries. Like we see the Spirit moving through spiritual gifts, uh, especially the miraculous, but uh, I mean, he is moving in the ordinary as well. Um, but we see this a lot in other countries, and I think there's a reason for that. Um, I'm gonna talk about that in a second. But I, I really think there's, there's kind of three reasons why we personally are just not seeing the Spirit move in these ways. And, and I'm just gonna be upfront with you guys. Um, I 100% stole these from someone else. Okay, be be perfectly honest with you. As I was studying um, one of uh, these pastors that I've sat under, his name's Jr. Actually, the church that Josh is preaching at today, he's at that church right now. Um, but there's uh, there's three things that he pointed out of reasons why, and I, I just as I was studying, I was like, these are so true that I wanted to share them with you. Um, and the first reason I think why we're not seeing these things in our lives is because we're just uninformed. Like, we, we are just uninformed about the spiritual gifts and about how the Spirit works in our lives, um, right? And, and the reason why we're uninformed is because maybe we, like me, saw spiritual gifts happening on TV, right, and all these other places, and we're like, I don't want to look into that. Um, or we just don't do the right amount of, like, study and look into what does the Bible actually say about what the Holy Spirit's going to do right? This takes more than, you might be reading your Bible every day through a Bible reading plan with your path group. That's amazing. Keep doing that. But this is a subject that you might have to spend time, like once, twice. Man, if you could do it every day, that'd be awesome. But let's say once a week where you're like, I'm going to study the Holy Spirit. I'm going to see what God actually says about his Spirit. Like these are things that we have to look in Scripture and see, right? We have to inform ourselves and go, okay, how does the Holy Spirit actually want to work in my life? How is he going to work in my life? The other, the other things that we can do is people, like there are gospel-believing, biblical people who have written on these things. So we've talked about this. Josh talked about, about this. But this whole series is based on this book, The Wonderful Spirit-Filled Life, right? Awful cover, uh, right? That's what he talked about. Um, I actually think the new version of this is just called The Spirit-Filled Life, and it's got a not-purple cover. But like, pick that up. This is like 101, Holy Spirit 101, you know, and then the other book that I have is uh, Practicing the Power by Sam Storms. Again, like, pastor in Oklahoma, gospel-believing, Bible-centered, nothing in here is outside of what Scripture says. Like, study, look into what, uh, and, and, and learn from people who are experiencing the spiritual gifts in their lives, actually seeing it. Um, the second reason I, I think that we're not seeing the Holy Spirit move this way, and I, we're just not seeing it, is because of, uh, we just have unbelief. We have unbelief. We, we are just in a state in which we don't believe that God works in this way. Um, we are like um, when Jesus goes back to his hometown, right, and he, uh, he's there and he's, he's preaching and all the people look at him and go, who are you, you're just Joseph's kid, right? Here's that carpenter's kid, right? And then it says this in, in Mark 6, that uh, he being Jesus, and he could not do mighty works there except he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. He marveled because of their unbelief. Man, God still, Jesus still healed people, which is crazy. Still, despite their unbelief, he healed people but he didn't do mighty works amongst them because they just didn't believe that he could or would or really could, right? I think sometimes that's where our hearts are. We just don't believe that God cares about us enough or loves us enough to do these things or that he wants to. We have to change that. We have to see, again, that God has these things for us, for his glory and for our good. But I think the last reason, um, and it might be the biggest one, Um, is this, is that we are unavailable to God. That we're just unavailable to the Holy Spirit. And and what I mean by that is that we don't want to see these things in our lives. We don't. And I I think the reason for that is because we're kind of content. We're content with not seeing the Spirit move in these miraculous ways. Especially in the West, we're, we're content with this idea that being a Christian is believe, be baptized, and behave. And that's not what being a Christian is. Being a Christian is a a fully transformed life, a, a life that's been fully given over to the Spirit of God, given over to God and saying, you've done everything for me and every ounce, every molecule of me is yours. It's all for you. It's all for you. We, we have this kind of mindset that just as long as our kids are healthy and they behave and our jobs don't fire us and we have enough money to put away for retirement and, and as long as we just like go to church sometimes and have good values, then that's, that's okay and I'll see God in heaven and it'll be great. But God wants so much more for us. He wants so much more for us than we want for ourselves. Um, And a lot of times what we end up doing is we settle for just mediocrity. This is something I talk about with students all the time, and so it's near and dear to my heart. Um, But what God wants for us in our lives is so much better than our wildest dream. And and that's hard sometimes because it's not, what I'm not saying, is you're like, oh yeah, okay, if I follow Jesus, I'm going to have you know, all of the things that the world says is good. I'm going to have the biggest house. I'm going to have the best cars. I'm going to have the sickest vacations. I'm going to have all of the things that the world says. No. No. The Bible actually says that if you follow Jesus, you have to pick up your cross, deny yourself, right, and follow him. That, that the world will probably, will most likely persecute you for what you believe. And it won't make any sense. You'll be the most loving, kind, generous. The spiritual gifts will be pouring out of you, and they will throw you in jail. And it won't make any sense. But God says there is so much more life there than a life that's just given over to every desire that our hearts would want. Right? This is why Paul says here um, that not only should we look for the spiritual gifts, but we should earnestly desire them. First Corinthians 14, 1 Corinthians 14.1, Pursue love earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. That we should earnestly desire the work of the Spirit in our lives. That we should earnestly desire for God to hand us that router and for us to, to just allow him to use us for his glory. Right? And, and my fear, and this is me too, I'm saying this to myself, is that we are like when I was a kid and I would stand outside the garage and watch my dad. My dad would make these crazy things. He'd make grandfather clock. He made tables. He made all these things. And like, it's like I'm just standing there watching. And it's cool to watch. It's great to watch someone in their craft. But it seems ridiculous for us to think that if we have the offer of coming alongside and being a part of something amazing, why would we stand outside? Why would we stand outside? And so this is my my call for us, that we would earnestly desire the Holy Spirit, that we would earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Sam Storms uh, says this in his book, and I kind of want to finish just here and pray this over us. I believe that one of the reasons why the spiritual gifts are less frequent in certain seasons of church history uh, than in others is due to the fact that people didn't seek, pursue, or passionately and incessantly pray for these gifts. Right? Again, like last week, Benger said that the goal from here is not to go out and say, okay, I'm going to get it done. I'm going to put all these things in my life. No, the call from here should say, it should be us getting on our knees and saying, God, I want you to do whatever you have through me. I want you to be glorified in my life, not myself. I want the good of others, the church to be built up, not me. I want to live for you. This is my call to us today that we would would know that there's so much more life, so much more beauty in doing that and giving ourselves over to the Spirit in this way. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you that you've given us these gifts of the Spirit. God, that you work these things in us, through us, these things that we have no ounce of anything in us that that could do it. God, you do these things. God, that you bring us along for something so much bigger than ourselves. God, I pray, Holy Spirit, would you reveal the beauty of that this morning? Because I know, I know, some of us are just not there. We're just not God, I pray that you would, you would show us yourself, remind us of what Jesus has done for us. Remind us of this world is, is fleeting and fading, but your glory will never fade. And your kingdom is everlasting. And you, you invite us to be a part of that. Would you, would you show us the beauty of that by your spirit this morning? how beautiful, how wonderful a life is given over to you, giving over to the Holy Spirit. We love you. It's in Jesus' name.